1: Today on the Zabe cast, Andy Poland joins me and talks about the burden of hair. Poor guy. The craziness of a spring college football season, and the ineptitude of NFL coaches like Rich Kotite and David Shula. All that plus MLB takes a major proactive step towards finding a way to play this season. Your daily Kickstarter of uncensored Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Wednesday, April 15th, 2020, thank you for joining me.
0: Behold, Simi. Life. Real life. A thing that we have been denied for far too long. Good morning, my neighbors. Hey, fuck you! Yes! Yes! Fuck you, too!
1: Ah, yes indeed. Day 35 of the No Sports Mageddon Apocalypse, and as Scott Van Pelt says, I'm not tired yet. I got things I want to talk about.
0: Been writing for Jesus a long time. I'm a Been working for Jesus a long time. I'm a Been working
1: for Jesus a long time. I'm a Hard not to get pumped up hearing that, right? Of course. Get it done, everybody. Gotta get it done. What's more? Exactly right. I wish there was better news on Tuesday. Tuesday dumped a lot of news in the sports world. The Chinese Basketball Association was hoping to get started again in late April, and they have now punted back to July. Problems include American players that are on each roster that had to quarantine for 14 days. They've been called back to China to start, and now this has been punted way back. The Tour de France which, as you know, I am meh minus at best on, even though I understand how amazing these athletes are, Uh, has been postponed, not canceled yet, but postponed. So that's bad. And the University of Cincinnati has canceled or has uh, shut down men's soccer, which they say is part of uh, not necessarily the upcoming expectation of a budgetary shortfall due to the pandemic, but uh, some had said that there was going to be cuts anyway. There is going to be a lot of programs in sports that uh, do not make it. And then there's this. uh, According to Governor Gavin Newsom of California, when asked about the upcoming summer holidays in the next school year, he said, quote, the prospect of mass gatherings is negligible at best until we get herd immunity and get to a vaccine, quote unquote. Well, people quickly pointed out, well, those two are you can't get to herd in lockdowns. And at some point, every country is going to have to make a decision. Almost like running out into a eight-lane freeway of fast-moving cars. It's not going to be an e- easy decision to make. I have read enough about until we get a vaccine to realize that many people who say this on Twitter don't really know what we're looking at in terms of the probability the timeline involved and the prospect of just staying locked down, semi-locked down, separated for 18 months waiting for this thing to come. Uh, just uh, the more I read about vaccines, the less optimistic about that approach. I have been not saying we shouldn't try for one, not saying I'm not hoping for one, but this whole, Oh, we'll get a vaccine. Oh, what? Then everything's solved all of a sudden. And again, how are you going to make people get vaccines? Uh, I don't want to get too far into it, but clearly uh, the governor of California is taking a very strong, sit-tight stance. I don't know how much longer it can last. I don't know how much longer it'll last for other states. And there is a definite political divide that is apparent between Republican governors and Democrat governors, and that's a reality. That said, this is interesting. Major League Baseball is going to participate in the largest study involving coronavirus antibodies to hopefully give researchers a better sense of just how widespread the disease is in major metropolitan areas across the U.S. MLB is going to participate with up to 10,000 people, staffers, players, you name it. Um, And they are going to uh, work in conjunction with Stanford University, USC, and the Sports Medicine Research and Testing Laboratory, Smyrtle, (laughs) Smyrtle. They'll use test kits that draw blood via pinprick and offer results within 10 minutes. It'll detect the prevalence of IgM, an antibody produced relatively early in those who have been infected with COVID-19, and IgG, a second form that doctors said lasts longer after an infection happens. A positive test would confirm a person did in fact contract coronavirus even if he or she was asymptomatic. Doctors caution though, this data is gathered that this data being gathered is not expected to hasten the game's return. Well, you don't know. If somehow the numbers come back and show a over, not overwhelming, a substantial amount of COVID-19 present, then that will set in motion its own sort of logic and conclusions and everything else. It may end up, Hastening the game's return, but it's not an explicit like, oh, hurry up. Let's go get these tests. And then if we find out that X percent have already gotten the coronavirus, we're good to play. It's not that simple, but this is good. Um, the, the, the study says Dr. J. Bahacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University, will assess the data gathered this week and write a peer-reviewed paper he hopes to publish as early as next week. This will be the very first of those. Why MLB versus other employers, he asked. I've reached out to others, but MLB by far moved the fastest. Yeah, see, because they, like every league, like every university, like every athletic department, are coming around to, this is going to be an extinction-level event if you just lay there and say, well, we'll, we'll wait and see you got to do whatever you can to help at least move things along in whatever direction they may go. So I'm, I'm not surprised. Baseball, baseball said, sure, test us. Let's see. Let's get some data on this. They said baseball has been enormously cooperative and flexible. Uh, we're trying to set up a scientific study that would normally take years, and it's going to be done in a matter of weeks. Good job on that. We'll see what it says. Now, of course, I'm bracing for very disheartening news. And that w- would be that, oh yeah, we tested 10,000 Major League employees and ballplayers. Barely 1%. If that's the case, a gulp. All right, let's see what Andy Poland is up to tonight. As he is doing his best. Hello! Hello. Did you know that Sale of hair clippers jumped 166% last week. You can't get them on eBay. You can't get them on Amazon. And the prices for those that are there are triple. How's your hair holding up, Andy, in what has to be the longest stretch you've gone without getting it cut?
0: Well, as a matter of fact, I got it cut right before the shutdown. So really? When I'm yeah so based
1: on what your instincts like hey man things are about to get crazy i better get this cut or was it just due was it just luck
0: it was due yeah it was was that time i usually get a cut about once a month and uh (laughs) yeah so i was okay
1: and how is it now
0: it's a little long uh (laughs) and uh from what i'm hearing barbershops aren't going to be opening anytime soon so i may have the longest hair i've had since junior high
1: (laughs) at now, how do you feel about it? I, I, as somebody with no hair, I'm curious about this. And by the way, I've got no sympathy for people complaining about, oh, I need a haircut. Fuck you. The 1% hair club, screw off. But if, if you end up with a big mop of hair for the first time since high school, how are you going to feel about it?
0: I probably won't be too happy about it, but, uh, I'll deal with it. You know, as, as you say, there are worse fates, right?
1: There are worse fates and you just got to roll with it. But, uh, everyone likes their grooming the way they like it. You've had hair fairly short, almost like Matt Lauer, not quite that short, but close. What's your preferred length?
0: Um, about what it is now, uh, maybe, maybe like three weeks after a haircut. Um, I like it above the ears. Uh, I have a beard now, so the sideburn action is a little bit different than it used to be. Right. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not real picky about hair, to be honest.
1: Okay. Well, you got it. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd say get a get a wild mane going, and take pictures.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. i look like the dude in uh, in uh, what's the bowling movie? Uh, come on, Big Lebowski. Uh, whatever. Big Lebowski, yeah.
1: How can you say that bowling movie? It's, you claim it's your favorite movie of all time. I, no, I like. Or amongst I my favorite your favorite bowling
0: movie, yeah, my favorite bowling movie is oh. not my favorite
1: movie. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's Kingpin. There's Big Lebowski. What <laughs> other bowling movies are there?
0: Right, that's it. <laughs> that's so, it. That's, that's the two <laughs> of, of the two. That's the one I choose.
1: Okay. <laughs> So as we are hurtling into the depths of 34 days and counting with no end in sight of no sports, does it feel like, wow, this is what it's like to not be a sports fan at all?
0: Yeah, I, I had my uh, friend Warren, the non-sports fan friend Warren on. Uh, I think I told you that he uh, has said he's got the cleanest garage. I haven't gotten around to doing that. but I've That was weeks things.
1: ago, by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I knew, you know, this, we knew we were in for this for a while. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder, I had wondered what that was like. Uh, the, the thing about being a non-sports fan is you don't miss it being a sports fan. You miss it daily. Yeah. Yeah. You miss it more and more. And like Sunday night, Oh good horse, the horse competition. But (laughs) it was sadly disappointing. I didn't like it at all. So, um, yeah i'm I'm waiting for real sports to begin
1: what does uh what does your son jeremy say about this
0: well he's he's not happy about it he's um he's at least somewhat occupied he's home and he's uh teaching classes online and uh you know having meetings with students online and so forth so it's not completely barren for him but, but he loves yeah, sports not,
1: though like he's he, especially he basketball
0: and, and I'll tell you something i I don't go out of my way to watch these, but I have come home. And I saw him watching the 1988 NBA All Star Game, and I couldn't believe the quality of players in this. My God, uh, you know Larry Bird's still playing, Magic Johnson is still playing, Michael Jordan is still playing. Uh, you've even got guys like Moses Malone. Didn't Dr. wasn't
1: court. Dr. J still in the league by about 87, 88, or no?
0: Eighty-seven was his last year. Okay, so he was out of the league by then. But but these were you know these were the prime years of Bird Magic plus the entrance of Jordan, who was three years away from winning a title. Patrick Ewing, I mean one star, Carl Malone. And i was thinking, man, the NBA was so great. Now maybe it is now. I just don't pay attention to it as much as I used to. But uh, that that's the kind of cool thing when you can look at. that. But as far as watching a whole game. I don't know if I could really. I, even like tonight is the uh, seventh game of the World Series from uh, this past year, and I'm yeah. a big Nats fan. I, I, I'll maybe catch a little bit of it. Maybe myself, you know? right because uh, it's hard
1: to convince yourself. Just like, did you watch much of Tiger's win on Sunday?
0: I didn't. I heard that was good, and I heard the interplay between Nance and Tiger was really good.
1: It was okay. I I, okay. I, I don't find Tiger as compelling as maybe some people think. It was. I thought Tiger showed a bit of himself. That was unique, but you know, the whole, I think, I think we're all trying to, as sports fans mind, fuck ourselves into believing watching old vintage stuff is really cool. And we know it's not the truth, and we know that we're hurting right now for the thing we love because being a sports fan is being part of a club. It's being it's speaking a common language, and it's also something that helps give you something to look forward to. Oh, there's a cool game on tonight, or there's a tournament on Sunday. I can't wait to see it, you know? This is what phase, which blows my mind about the non-sports fans that float through life untethered. To the normal right. calendar of big events like we do it's so
0: we no no question no no question and and we you know we missed the final four weekend last week we missed masters uh, baseball should be underway and the big thing about sports is when you tune it in you don't know how it's going to end right whereas it's it's a known ending when you see a movie you may not know the ending but the ending is already set before you walked in the theater. And the, the anticipation of what's going to happen and, you know, crazy things like, you know, for golf, John Vanderveld, when yeah. you tune it in and you go, oh, there's no name is up by six strokes, he's going to win. And oh, oh my God. <laughs> you know, So uh, that that's what's missing. The, the, the unknown when you turn it on.
1: What do you make of all these cockamamie ideas? And I do say cockamamie with all due respect. On shortened seasons, modified seasons—it's almost like one crazier idea comes out after the next. The latest is a college football season that would run from February to May. This yeah, to me, I saw that. this to me, sounds like the biggest no fucking way in the world.
0: Uh, it sounds to me like these athletic directors are bound to determined to ram this thing through. Because of how much money comes in, and the hell with the following football season. You're going to crown a national champion in June and then start a the season again in late August? Are you really going to do that? Maybe you can't. I don't know. Uh, but, how, about, but how
1: about the fact you'd have to start in some northern cities, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Madison, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and others, in February? Yay! Come on right. out to the first game and freeze your nuts off.
0: Uh, are, are we sure we're going to have fans?
1: That's another thing. If it's is it worth not
0: going to have fans, then then play it in all in indoor stadiums. Play all the SEC games in New Orleans. Play the games in Texas in Houston, which has a dome, and you can line them up throughout the day. Especially if it's artificial turf, that you can play three games, and and and, because it was just going to be a television product, do that. But yeah, if you want the student body, which I, I don't know how you're going to do that, but maybe you can, or you can get a hundred thousand people at the University of Michigan to watch a football game when we're supposed to have social distancing. I don't know, but I think I think the money is so great that they're going to find a way to put games on television. And here's something else that that's uh, floating around. I saw it on USA Today. This also might be the year they go to eight for the college football playoff. Oh, just that's to get more. Yeah,
1: I, games. I, yeah, not just eight, but maybe twelve or sixteen like they're they're saying, you know, you know how the old saying in politics is, never let a crisis go to waste. Crisis times are a great time to ram shit through. When people right. are off balance, not looking, not prepared to counter it like, wait, do we really want to do this? So I could easily see that happening. And the same yeah. thing with these baseball plans of splitting up Cactus League and, you know, Flor excuse me, Florida versus Arizona. At some point, as our friend Tom Lavera would say, the juice ain't worth the squeezing.
0: Yeah. Right, right. So, so there, there's that, but and you also got you now some pushback from players like Ryan Zimmerman who go, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to see my newborn child for four, four months. months after it's born. Yeah. Right, I'm and, not going and, off to war
1: here. I'm going off to play baseball. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, But, you know, they may say, OK, well, we'll use, you know, triple A players if you don't want to play. And then some of the major leaguers are going to want to play. And, uh, you know, they every it's not going to be a real baseball season. It's going to be baseball on television. Right. And for those who are still stuck at home, they'll have some to watch.
1: And I now realize after saying this on a previous visit with you, I pretty much endorsed all the crazy ass ideas that were presented a week ago. So once again, I've lost the compass of my own fucking opinions in the middle of this interminable pandemic. we will just have to see what next week brings. Meanwhile, in other news, uh, good old medium Stein, poor medium Stein, Hank Steinbrenner passes away at 63 years old today, not due to COVID-19, but another illness that family didn't really elaborate on that. I guess he's been battling for some time. He was he was uh, a guy that, according to some reports I read, Yankee fans would have loved him if he could have been gotten to know if they had known him better. Because, in other words, mm. he only ran the team for ten years because Big Stein died in twenty ten, and for maybe the last several of those years, he was battling this illness, not as visible. But your thoughts on the Steinbrenner dynasty with the New York Yankees? Uh,
0: well, uh, the the incredible thing about when he bought the team, he was a, a shipbuilder from Tampa. Now, he had had some experience in sports before. He owned something prior to the ABA, an alternate basketball professional league. And he, I believe, hired the first black head coach. That's why uh, our friend John Thompson has always liked brother. Uh, he right. hired a guy by the name of, I think it was McClendon, who, uh, to coach his Cleveland team. And the Yankees had been purchased by CBS sometime in the 1960s for $13 million. Steinbrenner bought him for $10 million.
1: The Yankees? And,
0: yes, look it up. $10 million to buy the Yankees. What year? In 1970,
1: 1973.
0: Holy and, shit. <laughs> at his opening news conference, he gave it the old, oh, you know, I'm based in Tampa. I run a shipbuilding company. I'm not going to be a hands-on owner. Come on now. <laughs> and, uh, right. <laughs> before long, he was in head first, and you know, he he really you know changed the game. I mean, he was he he didn't sign the first free agent, but he he got the ball rolling, and he he had actually made a deal with the A's to get some of their stars as uh, free agency was coming in and Charlie Finley knew he wasn't going to pay him. And the deal was voided by then commissioner Bowie Kuhn because he thought it was going to ruin the A's, which they ultimately did anyway when they lost all these players through free agency. But Steinbrenner getting Reggie Jackson was a real game changer for sports. And though they hated each other uh, and though he hated Billy Martin, his manager, the fireworks that was created by that, I mean, baseball in the nineteen late 1970s with the Dodgers and the Yankees playing back-to-back years, that was some incredible stuff.
1: Yeah. Rest in peace, uh, Hank Steinbrenner. And you're right, uh, George was one of the all-time character owners, just crazy character owners in sports history.
0: Yeah, yeah. By the way, his band, one of the great stories, was Dave Winfield. Yeah. Who, Yeah, who he, he hated and signed a contract that Steinbrenner got the wool pulled over his eyes because it had an escalator clause for inflation. <laughs> so it was a lot more money than he signed, and he wanted to get dirt on him. He hired a radio stringer, a guy who went to games and gave radio reports named Howie Spira to dig up dirt oh. on Winfield. And that's what got Steinbrenner banned from baseball for about three years, which, which proved to be a great thing for the Yankees because instead of trading guys like Jeter and Mariano Rivera for prospects, they held on to them and, yeah. uh, for, for big names. They were prospects. For big names, they held on to them and became great stars.
1: Bought the team for $10 million. It's almost like nobody in 1973 thought, are they going to make more New York Yankees? franchises uh no so maybe this thing is going to appreciate quite nicely as the years go on
0: yeah i, I don't think anybody could have imagined the television money either i think that was a, a big part of it and uh yeah but it's yeah, a yeah, it's CBS an it,
1: even in 73 the new york yankees were an american institution an icon yeah, they
0: were yeah. so you would think but
1: how bad could i do if i bought the yankees they're not making another new york yankees and they're not going to install it 10 miles down the road This is a a crown jewel to own. Same thing for the Cowboys when Jerry Jones bought them. I mean, he bought them for a tiny amount of money compared to what they're worth now.
0: But it was was an amount of money where Donald Trump said he was crazy to pay that much. I think it was $139 million. That is true.
1: That is true. true. (laughs) All right. uh, Five, uh, I got five random things here. I'm going to start a five random things uh, series. It's not necessarily the five most, just five I can think of in certain categories, and there may be others that I leave out and people can email me and text me and say, you forgot about this guy. The five random, huge disaster coaches in the NFL. Where would you like to begin? You start.
0: Okay. Well, I have one that that I gave you in a text and he's forgotten because it happened in the early seventies named Bill Peterson. And he was Quite a good college coach, and among the coaches he had on his staff at Florida State was Joe Gibbs, Bill Parcells, coach for him, Bobby Ross, coach for him down the line. Quite a successful high school and college coach. He goes to Rice in 1971, apparently does well enough at Rice, that the Houston Oilers hire him for 1972. He goes 1-13 in 1972, 0-5 in 1973, and they fired him. Uh, among the moves he made was a kicker by the name of Mark Mosley, who had actually made a game-winning kick in a game, and a couple of days later, Mosley showed up for practice, and Peterson said, I'm going to have to cut you loose. He said, why? He said, well, I had a dream that you missed a kick. And uh... what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, he cut Mosley
1: because of a dream.
0: Yes, yes, yes. he cut him because of a dream. and he made other ridiculous moves, which is why he has the lowest winning percentage of any coach post merger, one in 18 in NFL, um, wow. although better in college. Uh, so that's 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 got to take the cake as as the worst coach. Ever. We lived through the Zorn era, well, including a year of doing his radio show. No. Jim,
1: yeah, Jim Zorn is an all timer, not only in how he was hired after a 33 day fruitless search uh, for Jim Spagnolo, right? The uh, Or uh-huh. Bob Spagnolo, whoever Spagnolo uh-huh. was. For the Giants, he was the yeah. D coordinator, coming off a Super Bowl right. win and upset of the Patriots, and they went to right. the end of the line tried to get him, and he said no. In about five minutes, and then Dan Snyder turned around is like, "Well, who do we got?" Uh, Zorn was hired as OC, so give him the job.
0: Yeah, but that's a weird thing too that he got the job as offensive coordinator before they hired a head coach.
1: That it tells does. you right there it was a bad hire because yeah. you didn't give think he was Hoffman head said he wanted him right yeah, yeah right because you you didn't think he was head coach worthy, but then you were left with nothing at the end of you know January, and it was embarrassing. And so you're yeah. like, quick, just give him the job. And he turned yeah. out to be bad in so many ways, and he had no power. And, of course, Snyder usurped that authority at the first chance he could get. But the swinging gate play will forever live in infamy as Jim mm-hmm. Zorn's ineptitude.
0: No question. Did it twice, too, which yeah. was remarkable.
1: How yeah, about one Rich Cotite? who got yeah. not one but two jobs, one with the Eagles and another one with the Jets.
0: How yeah. did a guy he,
1: like Rich Kotite who sucked so bad get two gigs?
0: He he was he was bad with the Eagles, not historically bad, but he was hired by the Jets by Leon what was it Leon Hess was yes. the owner who was in his 80s and he said I'm in my eighties. I want to win now. <laughs> and Kotite was was very combative with the media and uh, very very chippy. And I think his last year he went one in fifteen. Right. Yeah. And that's when uh, that's when Bill Parcells came in and uh, and did well did well with the Jets, but uh, didn't quite get him to the Super Bowl.
1: Eric Mangini with the Browns was also a disaster because yeah, he, he came shots. he came he came from the Patriots and he was going to be. Bill, Par- he was going to not Bill Parcells, he's going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh Bill Belichick yeah, junior, Jimmy yeah. Hardass, and try to instill this culture. And it just didn't take with the franchise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was bad. Um, you know, there was, uh, the Redskins had a coach by the name of Otto Graham, who, uh, once said he would rather lose a game, I think 48 to 45 than win seven to three.
1: <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>
0: Yeah, wow. he was he was uh, he was Spurrierish before Spurrier, right? And uh, you know, and, and Spurrier was 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 you know we had some good times laughing about him, but the reality is with Danny Werfel, he did go seven and nine. You
1: that know? is amazing. <laughs> Remember yeah. David Shula, the son of legend Don Shula, with the Bengals. He was the first yeah. hire by new ho- new owner Mike Brown. He had just fired Sam Weish. Shula never had a winning year in five seasons. Was fired after a one and six start, and was never in football again. Was running steakhouses after that.
0: That's that's David Shula. The Mike Shula is still in coaching. Oh, I'm and, sorry. Did
1: I say Mike Shula. I meant to say David Shula. Yes. Yeah, David, David Shula, Shula and, son of right, right, yes.
0: and, and just because the, he had played a year in the NFL actually, so he had a little bit of playing experience, but not not uh, certainly not head coach worthy. Much better. Apparently, running steakhouses. Mike Shula. Remember he got a job at Alabama. Didn't if you can't win, you know, have a winning season in Alabama, which I don't think you had, you'd be you very good. But he he replaced the guy. Remember the guy who had the job and I don't think he ever coached a game, but there was a sports illustrated story about him having affairs and yelling roll tide in the bedroom and
1: Oh like yeah, 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 yeah. That was Mike Price. <laughs>
0: Was it Mike Price?
1: I, I believe guess, it was uh, Mike Price, yeah. He he, he yeah. never coached a game in Alabama because of the controversy. Yeah, very, very, uh, remember very, very. Rod Maradale of the Lions? Not only yeah, went 10-38, yeah. and 38, but 0-16 one year. But he looked like Great. a football coach. Square jaw, tough talking, old school. Didn't matter.
0: Yeah, I remember the, the press conference where they hired him. He kept talking about, you got to get low. you got to get low. So He talked <laughs> like a position coach. Uh, he also had uh, his his defensive coordinator was his son-in-law, who uh, later became the Redskins' defensive coordinator. And remember, there was the Rob Parker question at a news conference after a loss. Do you wish that your daughter had married somebody different? I think was the question. <laughs> <laughs> that is
1: that is a pretty brutal one right there. And then just a couple more, real quick, because I did hook into this. F on sports' worst NFL coaches since 1990. Kevin Gilbride, Chargers, yeah. went 6-16 six and 16 over the course of two years. Lame Kittens for your Oakland Raiders with one of the most yeah. epic firings of all time by Al Davis. Uh, then you had uh, Marty Morningweg with the Lions. He went 5-27. and 27. Yeah. Hugh Jackson got multiple stints, both in Oakland and in Cleveland. In Cleveland, he was 3-36-1. Which has, has to many. be a record for worst winning percentage for the most amount of games, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill Peterson was one in 18 in half the games, basically. Yeah. So he coached twice as many games, had two more wins.
1: And then Jim, Jim Tom Sula with the Niners was bad. Richard Williamson with Tampa Bay in 1991 was bad. He was the former Memphis State head coach. Richie Pettibone makes the list as the one and done for our skins, Andy, in nineteen
0: ninety three. Yeah, that that's uh there's a lot of circumstances to that. Uh just a tremendous defensive coordinator and a and a big reason, you know, second biggest reason they won all those Super Bowls, uh, as a coach, you know, working with Joe Gibbs. But he was handed an aging team that was trying to get under the cap that was coming and Charlie Casserly gave him a boatload of nothing for yeah. free agents, and you know just a lot of things. But he, he he may not have been cut out to be a head coach, but boy, what a great defensive coordinator he was.
1: Cam Cameron with the Dolphins went one and fifteen and was done in one year in two thousand seven. He was one of these highly sought after, very respected offensive coordinators. Put together high powered offenses both at Indiana and San Diego with the Chargers. But then when he gets to Miami, he starts shaking up everything, fired a bunch of coaches, cut numerous players, traded others, traded Wes Welker to the Patriots, and he was one and done.
0: Yeah, he was a North guy. He uh, he learned his uh, quarterback coaching under North with the Redskins.
1: Number two, Rod Rust for the Patriots in 1990. Remember oh, him? Yeah. <laughs> one, no, yeah in, one in 15. He Of course, he inherited a t- talent-depleted team and put forth the worst record in Patriots history – uh, he got his lone win against the Colts, but several players on the Patriots then verbally and sexually harassed Lisa Olson, a reporter for the Boston Herald. Yeah, that, that was, was not Rod Rust's fault, but it fell on him. And the number one worst coach, Andy, Bobby Petrino, 3-10 and 10 with the Atlanta Falcons. It's hard to get a cumulative record of less than 16 games. It means you were fired in your first year, except he quit. He didn't get he fired. He quit,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, and, and he, look, he's he's had his things, including the the minor, motorcycle wreck with the uh, with the girl, but he he lost Michael Vick that year, right? He did. He wasn't Vick. Yeah, so he was arrested was, was for his
1: crazy. involvement in dogfighting, and that was that. I think Petrino got a bit of a bad rap, but he's still a weasel. And there you go, three and ten. Find me another head coach with a less than sixteen game one year record that bad. Hard to find. All right, Andy, yeah. keep that hair in line. We'll talk to you next week, brother. Thanks. Stay safe, safe. See you, man. I'll end on two things today. Number one, Brandel Chambly tweets out a couple pictures and a note that for hundreds of years, golfers used nothing but a pinch of sand or a kicked up tuft of turf as a tee. But in 1920, a New Jersey dentist by the name of Dr. Lowell whittled a wooden peg upon which he put his ball. The idea at the time was rebuffed by golf's traditionalists, (laughs) until he paid Hagen and Kirkwood, two pros at the time, $1,500 to use them in a 1922 exhibition. $1,500 in 1922? Wow. That'd be Walter Hagen and I don't know the Kirkwood guy's name. A Society of Golf Historians says that, I'm sorry to correct you, Brandel, but the Dr. But the man who really invented the tea was Dr. Grant, an African-American dentist from the city of Boston. He patented the first golf tees in 1899. It's true that Dr. Lowell made them as well and marketed the so-called ready tea, but the innovation was that of another. So kudos to Dr. Grant. I don't want to steal his thunder on that. But what's interesting is what if they changed the rules in golf to outlaw tees? You couldn't have that big old toaster on a stick. Sweeping underneath the ball at 132 miles per hour, imparting the most, the the tiniest amount of backspin, causing the ball to just fly and tumble through the air, and poom poom poom, bounce like a trampoline for 300 plus yard drives. What if you had to use sand? I'm sure someone would develop a technique to develop a sand pile. You'd just get a giant pile of sand and and pat it down, and then you got it up on the pile of sand, and you probably wouldn't make a difference. But I don't know. Something to think about. I need to do a top sports inventions list for one of these days to get us through. No sports begin apocalypse. And then finally this. Dateline Australia. Couple fined $1,000 for posting holiday snaps from a year ago, that police thought were in violation of Australia's stay-at-home lockdown. Facebook does it again. Of course, overzealous police do it as well. They see the photos, they go to their house, boom, here's a ticket for a thousand dollars. They had to call the newspapers to go, hey, this is bullshit, man. That these were my pic- These were pictures from a year ago. Yay, totalitarianism. It's fun. All right, that'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for downloading. Remember to remain an optimist that even though you know it's all going to shit, it'll end up okay in the end. Just hang in there. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Fridays. It's only 16 cents a day. Rate and review and do all that other good stuff as well. Have a great Wednesday, folks, and we will see you next time.